Luke 10, 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Mary, or Martha, was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. There's that little phrase in there, one thing. And being a computer guy, I did a search on the internet through the Bible, and it occurs 67 times. I'm not going to preach on all 67. I uh, picked five. So let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would speak through me this morning, that your words would penetrate our souls and our hearts, that we might learn from your word and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Okay, one thing needed. Set the stage for this, we need to recall that Martha's and Mary's brother was Lazarus. And we've all heard of Lazarus, I think. These were close friends of Jesus, disciples, followers. And there was probably a mutual understanding that when Jesus was in the area, he was invited to dinner. It was just, oh, you're here? Okay, you can have dinner at our house. So that's what was going on. He was invited to dinner. We have the rest of the story in John 11, which really puts it into perspective. Um, in John 11, it tells us that Lazarus was sick. Jesus had gotten word, and, um, and yet he didn't go right away. And later, when Jesus did go, he was told that Lazarus was dead. And Martha went out to meet Jesus. Mary stayed at home. And it was in when Martha was talking with Jesus that he told her that I am the resurrection and the life. Then they went and Mary met with them. And she said, if, you know, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And we have the famous verse that all kids learn real quick is Jesus wept. Um, that's the shortest verse in the Bible and so much meaning to it. But then he says, where is he buried? And so they go there. And he says, roll the stone away. And of course, their answer is, well, He's been dead for three days. He stinks now. He says, don't, so what? Roll the stone away. And we all know the story. He raised Lazarus to life. So, and then it tells us that Martha served and Mary pours expensive perfume and washes his feet. 
That's the setting of this particular story. Half of you understand what Martha is doing. Someone's coming to dinner, getting the house prepared, cleaning, sweeping, getting the table set with just the right dishes and, of course, the fork and the spoon and the knife all have to go, you know, in the right places. Half of you, us men, we have no idea why are we doing this, you know. You're given orders. Go clean the bathroom, clean the bedroom, sweep it. And why doesn't, why don't we just shut the door? You know, why doesn't that work? You know, you, you know, they don't have any business being, you know, upstairs. You know, close the doors. They don't need, go clean it. You know, so, so we've all been there. We have, you know. We don't understand, why do we have to pick up the papers? Uh, our, my boots have been sitting there since November. Why do I have to move them now, you know? But Mary, Martha wanted the place to look nice. Um, so she felt that Mary should be helping. And she was probably right. And, uh, but notice, she goes to Jesus, and she appeals to him as the head of the home, the authority figure. And tell Mary to help me. And his answer surprises her. Mary has chosen what is better. This is one thing needed. Do you ever notice that there are good things, better things, and best things? Like, all desserts are good things. Lemon meringue pie, pumpkin pie, and apple pie are better things. And the best is strawberry shortcake. Just giving you a little heads up. Um, but don't we see things like that? There's some good things to do. Now, I don't think Jesus was telling Martha that all of her preparations were bad things. They were not sinful things. They were things that needed to be done. They were good things to do. But Mary chose the best thing. This helps us establish priorities, heeding the commands to love God and neighbor. Martha must learn to give the Lord and his word priority, even over loving service. Things needed to be done. Well, maybe not so much that day. They had just seen their brother raised to life. I mean, you don't see that every day. And Mary sits at the feet of Jesus. It doesn't, it's interesting, the, the text never tells us what Jesus was talking about. I don't think it was about the red wings or anything like that. But he was talking, and Mary is sitting at his feet, listening to Jesus. This is what's needed. The important, most important human need is to hear the words of Christ. That should have priority in our lives. That should be the first thing that we do getting up listening to the words of Christ. Number two, one thing desired, Psalm 27, 4. 
One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. Now, it's interesting that David says, one thing I ask, and then he gives three things. Um, I don't know if you ever noticed that about uh, books or sermons or anything. Um, my favorite author is Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, one of the dead guys. And my first book that I ever picked up was On the Cross. And each, each of his books that have been published, they're actual sermons of his. So you read a chapter and you're reading a sermon. And this is my very first book and I'm reading and I, I don't know where I was, but he came to the phrase and he says, this is the most important thing. So I, I looked around and grabbed a yellow marker and what he says here, that must be important. Then he gives this profound truth from scripture. I read a couple chapters later and he says, this is the most important thing. Another chapter over is this, and I found that there were many, this is the most important things. Since then, I've read many of his books, and he uses that phrase over and over. There are many most important things in the Word of God. Um, and so we need to search those. The fact of the matter is that there are, as I said, many important things in the Word of God, and it is those things which we as Christians should search for the unsearchable riches of Christ. Um, I'm trying to develop a sermon on that one of these days, but every time I, keep lo I look, I find some more of these unsearchable riches of Christ, and so the sermon gets a little bit longer. But um, search for them. There are things in here that are great truths that we need to know that we need to apply to our lives and, and work it out. Great things. So David says, this is one thing I desire, and then the three things. First is that he may dwell in the house of the Lord. What makes this God's house? It's people, Christians. Getting together for fellowship, to worship, in an atmosphere of, of peace, of harmony, of forgiveness even. Um, that's what makes it God's house, Christians. In his house, there is peace, fellowship, acceptance, forgiveness. One day, we're going to be with God in his house. Doesn't it seem kind of silly that sometimes we have disagreements, not just disagreements, but outright arguments with another Christian, that maybe there's Christ, someone that we dislike. You know, we're going to spend eternity with each other. Um, we need to get it right here as preparation for when we do go with Christ to dwell in his house. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord is the second thing. Um, gaze. 
Gaze is a very strong word. Um, as I said, I'm a computer guy. I like math. Don't like English all that much. Uh, in fact, my first semester in college, I failed English and German the same semester. It wasn't hard to do, really. I mean, it just <laughs> that just came natural to me. But uh, I, uh, you know, I, I can never understand, you know, an adverb. What does a verb need to add for? <laughs> now, I've never seen a verb adding to itself, or a pronoun. When did no nouns become pros? You know, uh, kids go to college, basketball, football, whatever, and then they become a pro, whatever pro-athlete, but what's the sense of pronouns? Um, I had the brilliant thought of a couple months ago, uh, woke up in the middle of the night and thought, you know, I'd like to learn Greek so I could study, you know, get a, a New Testament of Greek and, and study it. And so I talked to pastor and he gave me a couple of books that he had on his shelves and darn, the very first page, they start talking about pronouns and adverbs and dangling participles. I mean, gee, a dangling participle, that would look great on a Christmas tree. Uh, so I closed the book. Uh, I, I had no idea what they were talking about. Um, gaze. Gaze is something more than a glance. Remember, some of you need to think back a little ways, but remember you first saw that young lady or young man, you took a second look and, you know, I, I think I'd like to get to know this person a little bit more. You've gazed upon that person. Moses, when he saw the burning bush, he could have said, oh, there's another fire up there on the mountain. You know, we got to call Dennis, feeble cord. <laughs> Have him put that out. But no, he took another look and says, you know, I need to get a closer look at this. I need to gaze upon this burning bush. And he found God. The beauty of the Lord. Last week on the internet, I saw a picture of a, a faraway galaxy. I like astronomy, too. And this particular galaxy, most of them are kind of like this toward us, where you can see you know, the spirals and all the stuff and whatever they call those things. But this one was more on edge. And it looked like a flying saucer from the 1950s movies. And, but the color was just dazzling. The beauty of the Lord. This time of year, the, the flowers are coming up, and you know daffodils and tulips, and uh, pretty soon the lilacs will come if it ever gets warm. Um, but you know, we see the beauty of the Lord in nature. David says, I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. The blood-stained cross is beautiful because my sins and your sins were covered there. Christ, the picture of his nail-driven hands and his feet, the wound in his side, is beautiful because he saved me. This is what David 
He didn't know any of that, but he wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And then he wants to seek him in his temple. Do we seek God? Now, some people will say that before they were saved, they were seeking God. And they found him. Do we still seek him? As Christians, our, we should seek God with a more fervent heart. To seek God should be our, our priority. So often we don't, though. So we not only need to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, but we need to seek his presence daily. Number three, one thing lacking, Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Um, I get a lot of my sermon ideas from, from Pastor's sermon. He'll mention something, and gee, that'll click, and so I'll, I'll write it down and uh, get home and start to, to expand it a little bit. Um, he talked about this not too long ago. Here's the background. A rich young man went running after Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus clicks off some of the, the commandments. And he's, the young man says, oh, I've done all of those since I was a boy. Yeah, right, but he thought he did. And it says that Jesus loved him. And he says, but there's one thing lacking. Go, sell all you have, give it to the poor, then come follow me. And he went away. He stopped following Jesus. Um, incredible. Jesus turns a seeker away. He said something to the, the person that made him, I don't want to do the cost. And he walks away. Jesus would fail evangelism 101 today. He really would. Uh, many churches would grab this young man, welcome him as a brother in Christ, baptize him, and, and yet he really doesn't know who Jesus is. He's not willing to follow him. Um, this man, he walked away still as an unbeliever. He wanted to come to Christ on his own terms. Perhaps you are not a Christian. What's the one thing that's keeping you from coming to Jesus Christ? You've heard the gospel. You know that he died for your sins. But there's one thing that's keeping you from coming to Christ. You need to figure that out. Perhaps you're, you are a Christian. You've been a Christian for, for many years. Peter gives us some qualities which will make us effective and productive 
in our Christian walk. Things like faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Yet, your Christian walk is not as effective or as productive as you would like it to be. What one thing are you lacking? Sometimes it's pride. Even in Christians, there can be an element of pride which keeps us from growing in Christ. This growing in Christ is called sanctification, and it's the process of taking us from who we are to, to what Christ is. It's a lifetime project. Um, took Enoch 365 days. Don't know if that's quite, but it says God took him. They were having such a good time together that God just said, hey, why don't you come on to my house? He just took him. All the others, it says, they lived, they lived so many years, had sons and daughters, and then they died. Enoch didn't die. <clears throat> so, pride can keep us from joining the church. Pride can keep us from doing the things that God wants us to do because, well, we want to do it our way. Um, most of us are from that generation. I want to do it my way. Uh, God says, yeah, but there's only one way that I know of, and that's my way, God's way. Um, you're unwilling maybe to forgive of another Christian or live at peace. All these can be obstacles to us in becoming more like Christ. We've been studying... My, our Sunday school class, we've been studying the book of James, and he gets kind of tough at times uh, reading it, and he tells us what a Christian should look like. Ah, uh, that's not real good. <laughs> Let's move to the next section, and uh, the next section is even more. Uh, James tells us how to work out our salvation. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and that's how God the Father sees us, sees us like Christ. That's why we can boldly go to the throne of grace and pray to him. We're also imputed with the righteousness of Christ. That's on the inside. And Paul tells us, work out your own salvation. Well, that's what he means. We have the righteousness of Christ inside. We need to work it out. How would Christ handle this situation? That's what we should ask ourselves. We usually don't. James keeps telling us we don't do these things. Um, but you know, what is Christ? How did he do things? What's his life like? We, are, we as Christians are growing to be like Christ. Um, most of us, including myself, are lacking at least one thing in our Christian life. What is it that keeps us from being productive and effective for, for him? Number four, one thing known, John 9, 25. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. 
One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. This is a great story. It's a blind man, and uh, the disciples said, well, what sin did he or his parents commit? And Jesus said, they didn't commit a sin that caused this blindness. He's been blind so that he can show the glory of God. And then he heals this, this blind man. He gives him his sight. And his family, his friends, they have trouble accepting the change. Maybe you became a Christian, and now your wife, your husband, your father, your mother, your children, they don't quite believe it. You know, what, what do you mean you're a Christian now? And their concept of what a Christian looks like is much different than how God thinks a Christian looks like. And they have a hard time understanding it. Why? Well, they know us, for one thing. But there's so much attention given to this once blind man that even the religious leaders hear about it. And, of course, they're looking for anything they can do to discredit Christ. And if they can discredit this guy, well, so much the better. And the story is that uh, they call the parents in, and they, weren't, they were kind of hesitant. They said, well, ask him yourself. That's a good thing to do. You know, ask the person themselves what's going on. And he's, they, they start to quiz them. Now, please note, this is important. This guy hasn't attended a Sunday school class. He hasn't heard Pastor Mike preach. He, he's never attended an evangelism class. He's not... He, he was never even baptized. In fact, he only knows one thing. I was blind, but now I see. Do you know one thing? Our problem is usually we know too many things. We know too many things from the Bible. I've often heard some people say, well, I can't witness because I don't know what to say. And usually it's because, well, we think of all these other arguments that you know, they might ask us about creation or they might ask us uh, what's heaven like or you know, all kinds of side issues. One thing, I was a sinner. Jesus died for me. And now he's my savior. One thing. <clears throat> One final note on that part is that we still need to know the doctrines, the basic doctrines of the Bible. We can't say, oh, well, I know one thing. That's all I need to know. We need to study the Bible to, and learn the basic doctrines that are there. Number five, one thing to do. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, 
Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul does the same thing David did. One thing, and then he lists three. Um, when we study Paul's epistles, we come to realize that Paul actually does many things. We see it in his ministry, in his letters. Um, here he's telling us that he does one thing. I think it was D.L. Moody who once said that he was looking for a man who was 100% sold out to God. Paul was that man. Paul was absolutely sold out to God. He was focused on his pursuit of knowing Christ to the exclusion of everything else. But also note that he did missionary work. He spoke uh, in synagogues. He met people in everyday life. He preached the word of God. He witnessed. So that wasn't the only thing he did. Um, forgetting what is behind. Paul had reason to forget what had happened before. Um, he was a, a Jew, uh, a Pharisee. Martin Lloyd-Jones seems to think that Paul was probably the most intelligent man who ever lived. Paul was on the fast track to be the high priest. In his zealousness, he persecuted Christians because that's a sect. That, they're way out there. He persecuted them. He was, it says that he was uh, approving at the death of, of Stephen. It's possible that Paul orchestrated the stoning of Stephen. It says he was there holding the cloaks. Well, what does a manager do? They, they tell everybody what to do, and then they step back and let them do it. Um, don't know for sure, but Paul went around arresting Christians, putting them in jail, even having some killed. I think I'd like to forget those things too if I had caused that. So Paul had reason to forget. What is there in our past that we need to forget? Past sin? Jesus paid for that. He said, it's finished. So all of our sin is paid for. What about guilt? Oh, I feel really guilty about what I did in the past. That's covered too. Jesus is our scapegoat. He took the guilt and he took it away from us. In fact, Jesus did everything for us. We just need to believe that and move forward. And that, that is, in fact, what Paul says second. He says, straining toward what is ahead. Straining is another strong verb. I know verbs and nouns. That's, that's it. Um, but this is an activity that causes exertion, using force, 
making the sweat break out on our foreheads, straining. What's ahead? Knowing Christ. How much effort do we put into knowing Christ? Count Zinzendorf, um, he's another dead guy. Uh, I don't know too much about him. Um, I do know that he, he started uh, some churches, and he was a count, obviously. That's why they call him count. Um, but uh, he started some churches in his area. He was even a missionary to the United States before, when, back when we were co- a colony. He went to the Indians, uh, forgetting Georgia or something like that. But he had one motto. I have but one passion, and it is Christ and Christ alone. Paul had that same passion. Billy Graham had that same passion. Do we have a passion for Christ and Christ alone? As Christians, we will never learn about Christ through osmosis. Sitting, like I do as well, listening sermon upon sermon, living with a Christian wife, we're not going to learn about Christ by osmosis. Just by, well, if I hang around these Christians, I'll, you know, I'll learn something. You know, I'll, I'll just soak it up. No, you have to search for it. You have to look for it. It takes effort. It takes work. Third thing Paul says is pressing toward the goal of Christ. As I said, we as Christians are being conformed to the image of Christ. Some of us aren't, we don't look like Christ, especially to our spouses, to our children, to our parents, to friends, family, people we work with. Are we becoming more like Christ on a daily basis? Doesn't mean sinless perfection. As long as we're here on this earth, we are going to sin. We're going to get angry. We're going to lose our patience. We may lie. We may whatever. We're sinners saved by grace. And our goal is to become more like Christ. To start thinking before we open our mouths, what would Christ say in this situation? We think of that afterwards, and that's why you know, we get into the trouble that we get into. Um, but becoming more like Christ, you become more like someone uh, the more you're with them. I remember as a kid, we'd play baseball, and this was during the, the 50s, the Mickey Maddows and Al Kalines, Willie Mays and all this, and... Uh, as boys, we wanted to emulate them. You know, some would, some kids could, they learned how to run like Mickey Mantle runs. I, I know this doesn't make sense to most, most of you women, uh, guys too, if you're too young. But uh, I can watch uh, some videotapes of old baseball games or things that they show sometimes. And I can see a guy running the bases, and I can tell that that's, Mickey Mantle. I don't even have to see the seven on his back or the 
pinstripes or his face. I can tell by the way he runs. Same thing with a guy like Willie Mays. And as kids, we wanted to be like them. I tried catching the ball like this. It kept hitting me in my head. Uh, <laughs> my, my sense of depth was, was not very good. But we have something more serious. Christ. Are we becoming more like Christ? In, other, in order to do that, we need to spend time with him. We need to seek him. As Paul says, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, pressing toward the goal of Christ. Five things. There is one thing needed to spend time with Christ. One thing desired to dwell in his presence. One thing lacking, what is keeping us from being productive for the Lord. One thing known, what do we know that we can share with anyone and witness for our Savior? One thing to do, have a passion for Christ that supersedes all our other godly and worldly passions. Let's pray. Father, we, we first thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us the knowledge, the wisdom, the intelligence to read your word, to see the truths of scripture. And you've also given us wisdom that we can pick out those things that are most on your mind for us the one things of the Christian life. Help us, Father, to draw ever closer to you, to seek you, to listen to you, to press toward the mark of winning Christ. Help us to recognize those things which are lacking in our walk with you, that we may confess them, that we may come to you and ask for your help, Father, continue to guide us, lead us, and direct our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.